Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. so good as always to see each and every one of you and I hope you're doing well and if you're joining us online or the app or podcast I want to welcome you here as well I'm grateful that you would join us um, at this time I'd like to begin as we always begin by getting out our Bibles or turning on or getting out a Bible app and you can also get out your Bible study outline on the back there's a um, an outline that you can follow along if you want to do that But I'd like to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. That is the second book in the New Testament. Go to chapter 7, and today we are going to pick up in verse 14. Um, We're in this series that we've entitled Red Letter Words, and what we have been doing is looking at some of the specific topics that Jesus addressed, and we're continuing that today, continuing that day. And we've looked at some really difficult things, but we are going to look at today, I believe, something that could be one of the most startling things that Jesus ever taught. You say, what is that? Well, what might be the most startling thing that Jesus ever taught? Well, it's the source of evil. It shook the world in his day, and it disturbs and troubles many men and women today. Here's the deal. Here's the general outline that we're going to kind of grand thing we're looking at. Everyone here, and if you're watching there as well, we are all aware of the fact that evil does exist. There's no one going around trying to say that evil does not exist. They're not saying there's no such thing. We are all fully informed of the evil of humankind We know the world is full of defilement. We know the world is full of corruption. We know evil runs deep and evil runs wide. We understand that it is inescapable, all right? So therefore, I think, the question is not, is there evil in the world? The question then becomes from where does that evil come from? What is the cause of that evil? Or in other words, what is the point of its origination? That's a good question. We all, no one denies it. We're no, none of us are evil deniers. Where does it come from? Now, the majority of the world would say something like this. They would say that evil is broadly environmental. In other words, the world would hold that there are things that are outside of us that impose upon us that results in us doing evil. But we are not evil, Right? Now, those who hold that would say something like, people are basically good. You're going to run into that in most of people's thinking. People are basically good. At their core, 
They're good. They may do some bad things, but at their core, they're basically good. Well, I want you to know, and we're going to go through this, that that thinking is in direct conflict with the Bible. The Bible says our problem is not outside of us. Our problem is inside of us. And every one of us are capable of doing extreme evil without the assistance, pressure, or influence of anyone else. And so, I want you to know this before we get to the text. Um, this is, this is going to be difficult, parts of it. It's hard. As I was going through this text and I've been studying this text, I will have let you know that I've been disturbed. I've been forced to think about things and experiences. They've been difficult and hard for me, and I'm going to share them with you. But it's hard. This is hard, but it's necessary. So let's begin. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. We're going to start with Jesus' characterization of the problem. Jesus characterizes the problem. That's where we're going to begin. So we're going to start kind of broadly, all right? Here's the setup. Here's the setup. Here's the setup. Um, in the chapter preceding our chapter, chapter 6, you've got Jesus. We're told he's going to villages. He's going to cities. He's going through the countryside. And as he goes around, and I feel like I say this every single week, but it's true. As he's going around, a big crowd follows him. And he's going to minister to them. He's going to preach to them. He's going to heal them. We're told these crowds are so massive. In our text, well, prior to our text, we're told the crowds are so thick, so heavy, that people would do everything they could just, just to touch the fringe of his garments. It's a picture of a big, big crowd. Now, we also know the religious establishment does not like Jesus. They do not like his teaching. They do not like his popularity. And so they, they kind of keep an eye on Jesus. They're always on the edges, sometimes closer, and they're monitoring him, right? They're watching him. They want to hear what he says and what he does because they want to catch him. They want to catch him doing something that he should not do. And so it just so happens that at the time of our text... While Jesus is ministering and Jesus is healing all these people, the scribes and the Pharisees, they see something. They see something of great concern. They see something of utmost importance. What is it? Well, it just so happens, get this, get this. They witness one of the disciples. We're not told who the guilty disciple is. But one of the disciples, they see him eat something, and a man don't wash his hands. The horror, right? The horror. We, we can't have people going around eating stuff without washing their hands, getting all defiled and stuff like this. Now, Jesus, we got you. We got you, Jesus. We saw it, Jesus. Look at this big crowd. Scribes, Pharisees, they go up to him. Jesus, we got you. We saw one of your disciples. We saw it. He ate something. Now wash his hands. Jesus doesn't deny it. Jesus, in verses 1 through 13, has a discussion with the scribes and the Pharisees. We're not getting into that. But after he has this discussion with the scribes and Pharisees, clarifying their poor theological understanding of Scripture, he then turns to the crowd. It's the crowd that would have been witnessing all of this, the one he had been ministering to. Now he's going to address them. That's the backdrop 
verse 14. Let's look at it. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him. Okay, so it says that crowd I talked about earlier. He's like, come here. Hey, everybody, I want you to gather around. I got something to tell you. Scripture says and said, here's what he says. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. So basically, Jesus is saying, everybody, gather around. I want to help all of you who have been under the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. There's something I want you to know. Listen. Listen. That's what he said. Listen to this. What I'm about to tell you is foundational. What I'm about to tell you is an essential truth that you all need to know. And I guarantee you, if they needed to know it, you and I need to know it as well. All right, all right, all right, Jesus. We got our attention, Jesus. Jesus, you got our attention. What is the essential truth that you want us to hear? Verse 15. Here we go. Essential, foundational. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Okay, that's a great, that's a great picture. That's a great analogy. Jesus takes something physical and he relates it to something spiritual, okay? So here's what's going on. Here's what they were struggling with. This is what the crowd, and many of us today, struggle with, all right? They are aware of the ideal of purity and impurity, right? They, they understand that. They understand that. And so the Jews and the religious establishment back in the day, they had established a sophisticated external religious system that had gone way beyond the law of God, all right? And so here's their thinking. Here's their thinking of something like this. If we do these things, right, if we do these rituals, if we do these ceremonies, if we do that, one, it's going to please God. God's going to be happy. If I can do these things, God's going to be happy. Two, I will not be defiled if I do those things, right? So you've got kind of this system of weights, right? Right, right? So, so if I do these ceremonies, if I do these traditions, if I do these customs, that will all go into my good column. I got my good column. I got this. It's up here. I'm doing all these things. And if the good things I'm doing exceed the bad things that I'm doing, then God and I, we tight, we tight, we so tight, because I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, right? But if I do this, if I defile myself under this, then, then this, and then we're not good. Well, we're not good. And so that's what they, they did, right? You wash your hands before you eat. You go to the synagogue, you follow the traditions, you're the elder, you do that. You're golden man, you're okay, you are not defiled. Just make sure, hey, make sure you keep doing these things. You don't touch these things, hang out with these people, act in these ways, and it's good. You're good, it's good. And that is really just the way they lived. It's the way they thought. And it sounds kind of crazy, really, if you think about it. But do you know that is the dominating theology across the world today? It's salvation by works. And it's, it's prevalent everywhere. And I can sit here and say, yeah, it's prevalent in other countries, in other cultures, in other religions. But let me say, it is also 
woven into sometimes even the way you and I think, right? So that's easy, man. If I do these things, I act in these ways, God will be pleased and happy and somehow makes me right undefiled. Now, to be certain, Christian, you are to do certain things and you are supposed to act in certain ways. The problem is when you think the ways you act and the way you do things make you right with God, they do not all at all. Jesus' point here is, spiritually speaking, pollution is not outside of you. And it doesn't come to you. It comes out of you. Because the problem, my friend, is you. So Jesus protests us. The religious system. All right. We got that. We got that. Jesus is after inward purity. So he characterizes the problem. But now we're going to get to verse 17, and the disciples have a question, and we're going to see Jesus clarifies the problem. I mean, it seems so simple, right? It seems so simple, but verse 17. After he, that's Jesus, had left the crowd and entered the house... His disciples asked him about this parable. Now, I don't know how long after he dismissed the crowds and went into the house that the disciples had a question, but they leave. I'm guessing it's evening time. That's what I'm guessing, right? And they ask about the parable. Now, here's the deal. I think they probably understood the parable. Like, that is not rocket science there, right? That is not a difficult parable or analogy to understand, I think they got it. I think the problem was it was contrary to everything they had ever been taught. So they're like, this is what I think, like, like, Jesus, what you talking about? Right? Jesus. You know, you need to tell, Jesus, Jesus. I have spent my whole life doing certain things and not doing other things. Jesus, I have been modifying my behavior for a very long time. Are you now telling me, Jesus, that all these works, all these things I have been doing don't really amount to anything, right? We think that, right? Here's the here, here. Are you saying, Jesus, here's what people think. Are you saying, Jesus, if I go to church three times a week and my buddy goes to church two times a week, are you telling me that I don't get cutsies in the prayer line, right? Are you, are you telling me my extra week in church doesn't count for a priority in my prayer life? Right? Does, it, does it not get me ahead? Jesus, is that not how it works? Because I'm telling you right now, that's exactly how I understood it to work. What's up, Jesus? What's up with that, Jesus? I'm putting in the time, Jesus. Well, Jesus replies, check it out, verse 18. Are you so dull? He asked. That's a hard hard thing to hear from Jesus. Like, I want to hear a lot of things from Jesus. This is not one of them, but I'm quite certain he could say it to me today. But he continues. Once again, he, Jesus doesn't really explain a lot. He just restates the picture, the analogy. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? 
For it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. Once again, I need not go into details here. I don't have to draw you a diagram. You know, yeah, thank you. Exactly. You don't need that. But what you eat doesn't defile you. It goes out. It does not go to the heart. The defilement is not what goes in you. Defilement is what comes out of you. Listen here, though. Those guys should have known this. This is not new information. It's in the Old Testament. Isaiah, 1 Samuel says, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on what? Heart. The heart. The heart is evil. That's the issue, and it comes out. The lips. Lips. That's another message, but I'm telling you right now, you want to know the heart of a man or a woman, listen to what they say. It cannot help but say what the heart is. It comes out. It comes out. And then Jesus says, real quick, look at this. The, the end, okay, so the end of verse 19. It's in parentheses in most Bibles. It's kind of a side note. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. All right. That's not the main point. That's not the main point. I do want to briefly talk about it. I think it's worth talking about briefly because I run into this. I hope this is helpful. Um, from time to time, there will be a release of a book at a Christian bookstore advoca- advocating, maybe you have one, maybe you've read it, um, a Christian diet, right? The Bible diet, Old Testament diet, prophet diet, whatever. I don't know. There's so many of them. And I'm always like, when, when people get behind, you know, you know, it's biblical, man. That's a diet, you know, a biblical diet. Here's the deal, man. This verse makes it very clear. Jesus said, all food is good. All right? I want you to understand that, Christian. All food is good, a gift from God. Even bacon. Even bacon. It's a common grace. Now, I say that. True story, true story. <laughs> a guy came up to me, all right, a sincere, good guy. He said this, I'm not going to go into details. He said this, he goes, Travis, you can quote me on this, all right? Don't spread it, though. This is what he said. He said, did you know that every piece of bacon you eat, you lose seven minutes of your life? That's what he told, he, he told me. Oh, yeah, well, the first thing I thought is seven minutes isn't a whole lot. And then I thought, but uh, may I eat a lot of bacon or whatever. And, but then I thought about this. I thought about this. My grandfather ate bacon every morning his whole life. I got out, the, I did this. I honestly did this. I got out the calculator and I figured bacon every day for this long, two pieces, all of this. My conclusion was my grandfather should have died at 55. He lived to be 90, about 95, and he ate bacon, and he chewed tobacco. Not advocating that, whole nother story, he's a farmer, whatever. Guys, I want to tell you, this is the, this, I hope this is helpful, this is it, this is it. I want to tell you the Bible diet, and it's going to be, it will be a little bit hard to hear. This is it, all right? You don't need to buy these books. All food is good, all food is a gift, Eat any of it and all of it. Here's the caveat. Don't be a glutton. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says, all right? 
The sin isn't the food, the sin is the gluttony, all right? That's what the Bible says. So, eat all of it, just don't eat all of it at one sit-in. All right, it's all good. You can have your bacon. It does not take away seven minutes of your life. It may actually give you seven. All right. <laughs> We're going to continue. That's a side note, but it's in the Bible, so we need to talk about it. Jesus confronts the problem. We'll see that next. This is where it starts getting hard, people, church. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. Oh, oh, we're no longer talking about food here. We're talking about sin. The first of verse 21. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. No, no, sir, no, ma'am, it, 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 doesn't, it, it, it doesn't come upon you. It's not pushed on you. It comes from within, from within out, out of your heart. And in the Greek, it's really clear. It's a compound word, ectocardias. It means it gushes out. It's this powerful word, like you can't stop it. Oh, you can modify it. We all try to modify it in front of certain people, certain times. But it will come out. And then he lists 12 things. Let me read them, the rest of 21. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. 12 things. That's a bad list. Nobody here is going to defend anything on that list as though it is a good thing. If anything, we could all get together and add about 10 more. We know this is bad. Bad, it's bad. And what's the source? The heart. Verse 23, all these evils come from inside and defile the person. No, no, no. We are not basically good. We're not. And this is what I want to share with you. This is the stuff I've been thinking about. And I hope I know we like to think we're good. I like to think I'm good. And I like to go around comparing myself to bad people and I'm not a bad guy in of myself. But I want to crush that thought in you that you are not, that you're good or I'm good. So here's, follow me, follow me, follow me. And I'm, follow me, I hope this is helpful. This is my thinking. If I was to go to the average individual anywhere in the world and I was to say this, Follow my logic here. What's the greatest evil committed by humankind today? Now, we're going to get various answers. I, I do believe that. But I do believe at the end of the day, we're all, everyone's going to fall on this one, genocide. No one's going to argue for a greater evil, I do not think. The greatest evil committed in the world today is genocide, the killing of a large number of people. Don't imagine anybody would say there's anything more evil than that. And I think they'd be right. All right. Now, I was thinking through this. I think that most of us, if we were to meet someone who had committed genocide, that we would say something like this. I would be able to identify it. I would, if, if I was with someone who had committed genocide, I, I, I would know because they would be maybe different than me. Maybe they would talk evil. They would act evil, something. But they're going to be different than me because I couldn't do that. 
They've got to be different than me. I don't think that's true. I think we might actually think they're good people. You know, whoa, 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 try us a big jump. Well, let me tell you something. April 7th, 1994, there was a genocide, the Rwandan genocide. 100 days of killing. Not going to go into details. It doesn't matter for this discussion, this message. Rwanda is in East Africa. It borders Tanzania. In 2000, my wife and I moved to Mwanza, Tanzania, 240 miles away from the Rwandan border. All right? Now, during the genocide, the Hutu tribe and the Tutsi tribe killed one another in staggering numbers. And they fled to Tanzania. There's refugee camps set up there by the UN. Now, we're with the Sakuma people. We're in Sakuma land. We are safe. But here's, what I want. here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, 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 I've met people from the Hutu tribe and Tutsi tribe. I've met them. And every one of them I met I came away thinking this. They're good people. They're nice people. They're reasonable people. They're Christian people. Like me. Now, okay, you may say, well, that's fine, Travis, but you probably did not meet one that actually took part in the genocide. You, you could be right. You might be wrong, but I'm telling you this. I got the general perception that they were all pretty good people. I'll share another story with you about a guy I love and my good friend. Um, you need not ask me more about this. I'm sharing all I care to share. The man I loved, his, man, his name was Atu. He was from the DRC, the Congo, Congolese. He came to my church when I was a pastor. I was his pastor, like I'm many of your pastor. He went to my church, and I had a Bible study on Saturday. He went to that. Now, I, too, reached out to other Congolese. And so not long after that, I had several Congolese coming to my church and part of this Bible study. There was one of them. His name was Jean-Philippe. Jean-Philippe was a quiet man, but not an introverted quiet man, you know? He was a quiet man where you knew he had seen some things. He had been part of some things, seen some pain and hurt. One Saturday after the Bible study, there's a big tree and there's a concrete kind of, I don't know, picnic table, whatever. And me and John Philippe are there, right? So I'm going to ask John Philippe about his story. I asked him about his family. He told me that most of his family was dead, right? his father, his brothers, and I'm like, wow. Why don't you tell me about that? And he started to share with me. I won't go into details, but basically in his village years ago, some people came into his village with guns and put him and his brother and his father and the men in a certain room into the story is only Jean Philippe survived. That's horrible. I asked him this, guys. I said, Jean Philippe, did you know who did that? Could you tell the authorities? Did you know who did that? He goes, yeah, I knew all of them really well. They were my neighbors. I grew up with them. Went to school with them. Went to church with them. Played soccer with them. 
In other words, they were good people. Like me. Like me. No, no, we are not basically good. We are not basically good. Several years ago, I did a study. I went through the Bible and I tried to find all the verses in the Bible that tell me what I'm like apart from Christ. There's more. I've shared some of this with you guys. But so that we will have a correct understanding of who we are apart from Christ, let me just read a few verses for you. This is a picture of me without Christ. Genesis 6-5, I am one who does evil continually. Proverbs 20, impure. Ecclesiastes 7, not righteous or good. Ecclesiastes 9, full of evil. Psalms 58, wicked and estranged. Isaiah, gone my own way. Isaiah 65, rebellious. John 3, among those who love darkness. John 8, a slave to sin. John 8, 43, a child of the devil. Acts, well, 7, unrighteous, undeserving, not seeking God. I am a stiff-necked resister of God the Spirit. Romans 2, turned aside, worthless, I do no good. Romans 3.10, without fear of God. Romans 8, hostile towards God. 1 Corinthians, foolishly, spiritually foolish. Ephesians, dead among the children of wrath. Ephesians 4.17, darkened, alienated, marked by ignorance. I have a hard heart, callousness, perverted, greedy, impure. Philippians, an enemy of Christ. Colossians, dead, Titus, defiled. John, under the power of the evil one. 1 Timothy, Titus, no, Titus, foolish, disobedient, led astray among the slaves of various impassions and pleasures, pursuing my days in malice and envy, hating others, and in turn being hated by others. That's a picture of me without Jesus Christ. Boom. I don't care what you be telling yourself in your car, listening to your radio, dressing in your clothes. I don't care if you think you're better than your neighbor. You might be. I don't know. You, so many people tell me they're good people. Are you the same kind of good people Jean-Philippe had as a neighbor? No, this is me. This is me. Apart from Christ Jesus. It doesn't surprise me that this is me. You know what surprises me? Here it is. Here it is. Here's what surprises me. In spite of all of this, the only thing God has ever been to me is good and gracious. He is the God of grace. And so, no, this teaching is hard, and we're not good people in of ourselves. But I'm telling you right now, Jesus is. Jesus saved Atu, Jesus saved Jean-Philippe, Jesus saved me. You just saw four people Jesus saved during these baptisms. And I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are, but I'm asking you today, if you do not know Jesus Christ, don't fool yourself into thinking you're a good person because you're not. Repent, believe. Repent, believe. He is good and he saves. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. 
They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.